Well, as you're turning back in your Bibles to Philippians 3, one of the questions I want you to ask yourself is, we've been talking a lot about you know, running the race. We've been talking a lot about different kinds of races, even different sports. And so the question is, are you running in the race? Are, are, are you an active participant or a bystander? I've mentioned before this you know, great bicycle race called the Tour de France. And there's 22 stages and literally laid throughout the, the course are, are just people standing. So instead of like one big stadium where, you know, a bunch of people go, they're, they're, on, they're outlined through this four-hour course. So for four hours, there's a stream of bystanders. Um, well, are you in the race or are you just standing there on the sideline? Well, let me help you out. You're in the race. Now, whether you're moving, that's a whole nother question. Probably even more scary is, if you're familiar with how a river functions, if you're in a river race and you stop rowing, you don't just stand still. Uh, you're you're going to go the flow of the race. And so if you're going against the grain and you stop rowing, uh, you're going to go backwards. And, and as I'm reading Philippians, and, and, and again, that great reminder of two things. One is, Paul's in prison, right? He is in the, in, in the center of suffering himself, but he's also writing in a, a, a letter of encouragement to a good church, not an unfaithful church, not a sinful church, but a, a, a great reminder. Hey, did you guys forget? You're in the middle of a race. Okay, it's time to get going, time to keep running. And so maybe that's why sometimes... God needs to throw some trials in our way to wake us up, to remind us. Um, you don't get to just stand still. And standing still means going backwards. This reminded me of an of a, of a old true story in the 1500s. And, you know, the, the Spaniards came to, you know, Mexico, the Americas, and, you know, came to conquer and there's this one guy named Cortez, and maybe you're familiar with the name Cortez. And, and so as Cortez and the Spaniards come off the ships, and they're getting ready to do battle, well, you know, you could imagine not everybody really is all that keen on going and fighting in a foreign land. I mean, what's in it for me, right? And all I can think about is getting back on the ship and going back home. Well, that's a problem when you're in the military. That's a problem when you're getting ready for war because you need everybody moving forward, right? And so Cortez had this great idea to scuttle the ships. What is scuttle the ships? To tear the ships apart and burn them down. There's no going backwards. There's no going home until you go forward and get victory. Until you press on. Until you get in the race, until you engage in battle, there's not going to be any turning back. Scuttle the ships. And so it's a great reminder of urgency. It's a great reminder that there's only two options here, either victory or death. It's either victory or death. 
And it's a reminder that there's a great reward at the end. There's great rewards. So today we're going to talk about running the race in a matter which presses towards the prize. So, so we're not just running aimlessly. We're, we're pressing toward a prize. And there are four steps mentioned in, in chapter 3 that we can, we can live by. The first one is uh, we must press on through opposition. You must press on through opposition. Number two, you, you must press on through success. You press on through success. Number three, you must press on by moving forward. You press on by moving forward. And then finally, you must press on towards heaven. The object of, of all of this, of course, isn't you. We were reminded that very specifically, especially last week, that we do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with the humility of mind, we regard others as more important than yourself. And the great example of that was Christ himself who yielded his, his godliness to, to die on the cross, to, to die in the flesh, to pay the price for our sins. And so, what we see in, in chapter 3 alone, 15 different times, the object of all of this is Christ. And so we'll see in the Lord, in Christ, knowing Christ, in Him, through Him, by Him, by Christ, showing us, reminding us that He's the object. He's the object of, of our pursuit. So we don't just run this race for ourselves or for our own glory, or our own medals, but we run it with a purpose, with a, with a reason, not only for Christ, but even by Christ even through Christ and because of Christ. These are everything. So let's look at verse 1, 1 through 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So in this small little letter to the church of Philippi, uh, it's being summed up here. Finally, my brethren, again, this is, remember, this letter is an intimate letter. It's not an impersonal letter. This is an intimate letter to the brethren. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is family. So finally, brother, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. No matter what your circumstances, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And he says it right here. This, it's nothing new. It's the same thing again. And it's not a problem for me to repeat. Remember that key to learning is repetition. And repetition is the key to learning, right? Any teacher has to do that over and over and over again. So he's going to write the same thing again, and that's not a problem. Why? Because it's, it's a safeguard. This is your protection. Do you guys understand that our protection in life, in this race, is to clothe ourselves with God's Word over and over and over again? There's going to be obstacles that hinder the race. There's going to be obstacles. There, there's going to be some... Some hard tracks, some go uphill, some even, you know, when I watch uh, the Tour de France, the thing for me that scares me the most is the downhill. 
I mean, they're going downhill like 60 miles an hour by these hairpin turns. And these professional racers who've done it their whole life will slide and go flinging off the side of cliffs. It's, it's crazy. So I think the downhill part's even scarier. But, but there's going to be hindrances in the race. And part of this is, remember, you have to have a good attitude. So the attitude begins with this idea of rejoicing in the Lord. Now, you may not have confidence in yourself. That's okay. Have confidence in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, which is another great reminder that it's not about you. And you know what? Enjoy the race. The last thing in the world, I, and literally every time I see somebody running down the road, I always think to myself, they're crazy. I would not run anywhere ever again. That, that'd be my goal. That people do that for pleasure is crazy. And they do. So you know what? We can run the race of life with pleasure. We can run with pleasure, even expecting opposition, knowing that we have a safeguard. Well, what, what are some of the warnings? Beware of, beware of, and we see three things here. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. We, we see this phrase, dogs, a couple times throughout the scripture. We see it in Psalm 22. We see it at the cross with Jesus where the the Roman soldiers surround Jesus like dogs, right? It kind of has this idea of, well, th- these are the, the, the people, the soldiers, the community that are kind of being used like as a kind of an instrument of evil, wickedness. They're just a, a crowd of dogs, right? And, we, and we've seen that with people. You see that with mob rule and violence where it's just, they're, they're just, you know, running around, you know, w- w- without any rhyme or reason, um, they're just, you know, but we have to be mindful and bewareful of these dogs. Uh, beware of evil workers. <clears throat> evil workers. Well, we, we learned a little bit about that in Philippians 1, 15 through 17. These people who are in the ministry and yet they're, they spread strife. They're full of selfish ambitions and false pretenses. Well, that's frightening to think that there might be spiritual leaders, evil workers um, that are actually in opposition uh, to the gospel. And we've definitely seen that from the beginning of Christianity throughout the New Testament scriptures. We've seen that throughout time with heretics. We've seen that with the charlatan preachers and teachers. We see that today. And so there's a warning. We don't believe everybody who just stands up and, and, and preaches and teaches. So there's a warning. Beware of evil workers. Be, beware of the false circumcision. Remember that the tie into circumcision is that tie into uh, the old Juda- Judaizers, which is another way of saying if you're circumcised, you're of the faith, you're saved, right? So it kind of transposes into the New Testament again. The, the circumcised are part of the community of, of genuine, true Christian believers. But there's a false circumcision. And generally speaking, usually the false circumcision has something to do with those, those Jewish believers who still are struggling with the idea of Old Testament Jewish law, with legalism. 
and they're trying to infuse legalism and they're trying to infuse Jewish traditions into Christianity. And we understand why that would be difficult. This is the early church and they don't have a bunch of Bibles and they don't have, you know, uh, iPods and, and podcasts that they can listen to good preaching. And so there's a false circumcision. And we need to understand the difference between the true circumcision and the false circumcision. Well, what's the, the true circumcision? Verse 3. For we are the true circumcision who, one, worship in spirit, the spirit of God. Two, glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And then three, put no confidence in the flesh. That's You put no confidence in obeying the law, in your legal, legalism, in your deeds of good service, whatever thing you think might be earning your way into heaven, a quote-unquote good work, that's considered the flesh. You don't put your confidence in that. You put your confidence in the finished work of Christ. And so those are the three, three things. Now, think about this for a second. If this is what the true circumcision is, this is what the, the true church is, this is what true Christianity is, then you should see churches that have their pillars and their hallmarks around these things, worshiping in the Spirit of God, glorying, glorifying in Christ Jesus and putting no confidence in the flesh. And yet nowadays, one of, one of the first indicators that the church is kind of law is is on the wrong track or you know on the wrong rails is they talk a lot about you or yourself it's 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 the meism right it's it's okay this is how this gathering this group is going to exalt help you well that's not what the foundation of christianity is based on in fact if anything it's based on you coming together and immediately thinking of other people, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Well, so we press on. We press on even though there's going to be this kind of tension and opposition, which is going to create great confusion. And we see that again today in the church. But probably the best example that we have is Jesus himself. Jesus himself, who is the king, he is not just the king of Israel. He's the king of the universe. And the king of the universe came to the earth, walked on the face of the earth to do what? To serve. He came as the king lamb, not just to serve, but as Philippians 2 reminds us, to, to selflessly serve by giving himself. Therefore, he serves as our example to in the race, as we press on through the race, as we face opposition, you know what? That's part of the race. Part of the race is, is giving of yourself. To what point? To what ex- extent? Matthew 16, 24. Deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me to whatever extent it takes. Now, fortunately, most of the time we're actually just called to live a godly life. 
you, you will not find a passage in Scripture that says and you need to, you know, you're, you're going to die and that's going to give you an automatic entry into heaven. You're not called to die. You're called to live. You're called to live and serve and be in obedience to Christ. Well, the second uh, step that we see here in pressing on is, is through success. So the, so the first one is through opposition, through trial. The second one is through success. That seems odd. Why would that be hard, right? It's a lot more difficult than you, than you might think. Verse 4, although I myself, this is Paul, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. So we press on despite success. Paul illustrates this by pointing the finger on himself and he says, okay, this is what most people think is, is a good thing. Most people would think that, look, if, if you were circumcised on the eighth day, now he's turning back to Jewish tradition, right? So it wasn't only just about, you know, identifying with, with Abraham and Abrahamic covenant and being circumcised, but on the eighth day was the day in the law that you were supposed to do it. Not the seventh day, not, not the ninth day, the eighth day. So if you're a really good observant Jew, you do it on the eighth day. He did it. Or his parents did it. Of people in the world, I'm from Israel. I'm from God's chosen people. The nation of Israel. Of an Israeli, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. This is the sweetheart tribe, right? You know, the, the, the sweet tribe of Benjamin, they don't do anything bad, you know, when the divided kingdoms and, you know, they, they have a good record of, of Hebrews. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew as to the law. He is a keeper of the law. Even the Jews had uh, your kind of liberal-minded uh, law keepers, and, and Paul was not one of them. He would be one that would keep all the law, all the, the sacraments, all, all the different uh, statutes, all the different precepts. He's going he's gonna to follow it to the letter of the T, so much so that as a Pharisee, so professionally, he goes into the ministry, right? He, he's professionally in the ministry. He's in the law. He understands the law. And with all the zeal in the world, when, when this new teaching of Christianity comes, this is a, a direct affront to to what the, um, the Jews would have understood, he clearly hears what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am part of 
the, the triune Godhead. I am part of the, the line of Melchizedek. I am the Messiah, the chosen one. I am the I am, right? Well, there's only one of two decisions that you have if you're really a real Jew, and that's either pick up stones and kill the blasphemer or fall down and worship. And so Paul, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees in his zeal, Paul was the one who was the lead persecutor of the early Christian church. And we saw examples of that, even the stoning of Brother Stephen. As to the righteousness, which is the law, he was found blameless. So, if you're going to say that, that, that you're going to enter into heaven, that you're going to please God or please Christ, then, then this resume should do the trick. This should be counted as, as pure gain, as, 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 as a positive. And yet Paul says, despite the successful list, despite this successful resume, these successful credentials, some he had something to do with, some he did not. Despite that, what he does is he flips it around. He says, Verse 7, but whatever things were considered gain to me, to those things I now count a loss. We, we, we put in the ledger, right? Okay, why should you go to heaven? Well, because I did this and this and this and this and this. Right? These are all the reasons why. These are the gain. And Paul goes, hmm, okay. And he crosses out gain and he says loss. These are the reasons why you're not going to heaven. I mean, do you, do you see that switch there? It's like, wait a minute, I thought these were positive things. No, they're not. Why? Well, because what's positive, what, the, what you're supposed to put up on the board is knowing Christ Jesus. Why? If you're standing before the judgment seat of the Almighty God, why should I not punish you to eternal damnation in hell? The only thing you should put on there is Jesus. That's it. You've got nothing over anything you think you're going to list is now actually going to count against you because you think this is positive. And now this has become a works righteousness situation. This has become a I earned it situation. You have earned nothing. More than that, I count all things a lost in view of the surpassing value. All my value is knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. Remember, Christ is the name for Messiah, right? This is not just a full name. This is a title, he's saying, for knowing the Messiah, the King who died for me, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. This is a, a, a powerful term. Steve, you know, read you know, dung. In, in the Greek, it has that, that idea of, of just the disgusting refuse, the, the, the scraps that would be thrown out to the dogs. He is not trying to, to you know, use hyperbole to to kind of just overemphasize a point. He is actually trying to be literal here and saying, look, all those successful credentials that you think are good, they're not. 
They're not. They're, they're dung. Don't think cute British phrase. Oh, it's just rubbish. No. This is as, as clean as Paul can be to say the most unclean of things. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. The whole point, the object of our faith, the object of our salvation, the object of our prize is Christ himself. Verse 9, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. See, and that's the key. The righteousness that we think is not our own. The righteousness that we think that we're getting from the law by obeying rules. That's not our righteousness. But that which is through, not only Christ, but through faith. Through faith in Christ. Not works. Faith. For by grace we've been saved. Through faith. Not of our own. It's a gift of God. Your faith isn't even of your own. It's a gift. Wrapped up in a nice little package. Here, this one I'm going to give you for Christmas. What is it? It's faith. So that you can have grace. Understand the order there. The righteousness, verse 9, which comes from God. Your righteousness comes from God on what basis? Because you come here every Sunday. Because you memorize the Bible. Because you obey what you read and learn. No. It's on, on this basis of faith. Those are just responses. Your righteousness comes from faith. Verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. This is why the gospel is so important. The gospel is understanding the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's real easy to say and it flows off the tongue. But really understanding the death, that that is the, the lamb sacrifice atonement, payment for sin. Right? The, the being buried. Jesus was alive. He did die. It wasn't just like a, a big giant act. And then the raising again from the dead, which is he conquered death. And so I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And watch this. The fellowship of his sufferings. Not the witnessing of his sufferings. The fellowship. We will suffer with him in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not on the cross. But there is a fellowship that we will have with Christ and with each other in suffering. Being conformed to his death. Why? In order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I hope you guys understand, again, why it's so essential. This is why Easter is so essential. The proper understanding of Easter is so essential. Again, because if Christ isn't resurrected from the dead, then you will not be resurrected from the dead. That's our whole goal. Our goal is that when we die in the flesh, that then we too will have our resurrected bodies. That's our goal. That's the ultimate 
prize, when we cross the finish line, right, this flesh doesn't get rewarded. Our spiritual glorified bodies get rewarded. Very important that we understand that. And again, this is the basis then of our faith. That's a big matzo ball to believe in, isn't it? Yes. Well, the third point is we press on by, by moving forward. By moving forward. Verse 12. Not that I already obtained it. I love that. It's, this isn't written in arrogance. This isn't written by somebody that's like, look, okay, I was the greatest Hebrew ever. Now I'm the greatest Christian ever. Right? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. And if I had to vote, I'd probably vote for Paul. But um, not that I've already obtained it. I'm not the object. Okay, stop thinking of me. Okay? Or have already become perfect. But, but I press on. In order that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, brothers, sisters, family. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do. There is one thing that I do. That you need to do too. Forget what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many are perfect, have this attitude. And if in any of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard by which we have attained. The one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal. What's the goal? The prize. What's the prize? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's our goal. That's, that's the goal right there. And so when we think about races, when we think about winning races, when we think about finishing races, you, you have to move forward. You, you, you can't stop. You can't stop. And so Paul, in, in humility, says, so listen, this is what I do. I, I, I just, I press on. I, I'm not perfect. I haven't completed this. And I'm not finished. But you know what? I don't stop going. It, it's, it, it's like the tortoise and the hare. Okay, we're, we're not all going to be, you know, fast rabbits. Okay, some will. And some are going to be way out there and you won't even see them. You know what you're only asked to do? Just keep going. Even if it's like the tortoise. Just one step after another. You may not even be able to see your movement. Right? We, we, we hold each other up to some crazy high standards, don't we? We want everybody else to move like a hare spiritually. But we can move like tortoises. Well, you both can move like tortoises. But keep pressing on. The goal, verse 13, not, not that I've laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do forget what lies, I reach forward. I reach forward to, to seize it. It's the, the idea there in the Greek is to capture victory. Victory doesn't come to you. You go to it. You go grab it. You've got to move towards it. 
we see this in athletes all the time. That the, the bad athletes think that things are going to be just given to them and handed to them. And they get in the sports moment and they wonder why they fail. Because they haven't done anything to seize the opportunity, to prepare for the opportunity, so that when it comes, they can grab it. They, they think it's just going to come to them. It doesn't work that way. Again, in humility, says, I'm still, I'm still learning. Not that I, I, I regard myself as laying hold of it. I, I, I love the humility there. Remember, a big theme of Philippians is this theme of humility. But there's this, this great promise, this great secret here that for each and every one of us, because we, we all have our, our, our own deal, we're in a race. We're in the middle of this race. But you know what? There's been some things that have happened in our race, right? There's been some, some, some struggles. There's been some trials. And you know what? This is a, a, an interesting race because we all start at the same place and we all finish at the same place, but we don't all have the same course. It's like one of those games where, well, you know, Candyland, pick your own course. Right? And some courses are easier than other courses. And some courses, depending on what you do, get harder and harder and harder and harder because there's consequences to disobedience. And so, we see this, this godly perspective on our life. Don't look back. Don't look back. Press forward. Write this on your heart. Forgetting what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. There's a battle right now. There's a satanic battle in counseling. And that battle is this. One side says, press on. Forget what lies behind. Press on. Reach towards the goal. You're in Christ now. And the other one says, no, 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 no. Let's go all the way back and start all over again. And let's remember every little bad thing that ever happened to you. In fact, we'll make some stuff up. Or what if you're not sure? Well, then we'll just say it happened. We laugh at this. This is what's called science. This is what's called counseling. This is what's called therapy. This is what's called psychology right now. Is this all this remembrance of past stuff? And what's the point of it? Well, let's think about some, some biblical concepts. When we learn about what love is, love is patient, love is kind, love does not what? Keep account of wrong suffered. How can you move forward in love when you remember all the bad stuff that happened, all the stuff behind? You know what? Let's press on forward. What about Matthew 18? Matthew 18, this great passage about what biblical restoration is and after this example of of how we restore somebody we go to them in private we go with one other person we go to them before the church the whole goal is to get forgiveness to get restoration but right after that then we see this great illustration of a man who's owes a ton of money to somebody and has forgiven his debt and so what happens he's forgiven this great huge debt and, he, and, he, and he's so thankful and he's, he's forgiven, right? 
And then he turns, and two seconds later, he's throttling another servant over nothing. He hasn't learned the art of what true forgiveness is. And, and, and the, the land or the, the, the steward there is, says, look, because of that, you now are going to be thrown into prison until you can pay your debt, which is a debt that cannot be paid, which is a picture of us. If we can't forgive others, then we will not be forgiven. It's, it's a frightening passage, really. Forgive or die. You learn how to forgive others or you will be the one spending eternity. And so when you look at those two pillars of Christianity, how can you forgive people? How can you love people if you keep going back to the past? You cannot do that. That is not the method. And we see this here as a picture. Forget what lies behind. Press forward. Press on. In Christ, by Christ, through Christ, towards the upward call. Towards a prize. A prize much better than anything here on earth. Let it go. Let it go. Have this attitude. Rejoice. 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 Change your attitude. I mean, can you really imagine... Living life, just remembering, dwelling on every bad thing. That's you know, in third grade, I got an F on a test. Um, you know, I, I I had a bad year in sales. I lost a sale. Uh, I oh, I made so many mistakes in parenting. I mean, where where do we where do we start? Where do we end? I mean, we we could just go on list after list after list of all the mistakes that we had. And we can say, well, I just can't make it. It's one of the reasons why I love reading biographies. I love reading um, about businesses. Almost every business story that I've ever read of, a, read of a successful business person, they've all failed. They fail over and over and over again. You know what they do? They dust themselves on. They do it again. They forget what lies behind. They press on to what lies ahead. Don't focus on your failure. Focus on the prize. Scuttle the boats. Burn it. Throw it away. Move forward. Go to victory. Finally, the fourth part, press on towards heaven. Press on towards heaven. It's, it's not blank. It's not a, a nothing. We're not just running for ribbons and trophies. Verse 17, brethren, brethren. Again, back to the intimacy here. Join in following my example. Join me. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is their shame and who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So here's Paul saying, look, fo follow my pattern. Follow the pattern. Be Christ-focused. Be Christ-focused. You want to win the race of life? Are you running in the right race? 
Are you pursuing the right prizes? What, what is the blue ribbon of life? Right? What's the blue ribbon of life? It's not this stuff. It's not the bigger, better house. It's not the bigger, better car. It's, it's not the vacations. That, that, that's, that's not what our focus is supposed to be on. That's not what you get when you win the race. Be Christ-focused. Keep to the plan. Trust the plan. Trust it. And here's Paul saying, you know what? And some have already, some already fallen to the point of they're enemies of the cross. They've become enemies of the cross. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 says, For such men, what are enemies of the cross? For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Remember, these are people in the church confines, right? We're not talking about the sinners who sin. They're doing their job just fine, okay? These are the ones that are supposed to be of the family of faith, of the brethren, but they're not. Verse 14, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants are also disguised and disguise themselves as servants of righteousness who shall end, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So what's going on here? We're running a race. We're in the middle of this race. We're, we're, we're facing struggles and trials and difficulties in the race of life. And, and Paul reminds us, hey, beware. Be, beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Beware of the, the idea that you think your works, that you think your titles are a, are a law, are a gain. They're not a gain. They're a loss. Your only gain is in Christ Jesus himself. You know what? Forget all the stuff that lies behind. Press on towards the thing that lies ahead. And as we're pressing forward to the things that lie, lie ahead, remember that there's, there's still the obstacles in the way of many people who are on the wrong path. So much so that they're actually enemies of the cross. Remember what the cross represents. The cross doesn't represent, again, a way that you have earned salvation, that you have paid the price for your sin. It's it's the complete opposite. The cross is where Jesus, He dies for you. Where Jesus, He pays the price for you. And so the enemy of the cross then is the enemy of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so when we divert our attention from the cross and we place it on anything, especially our, our self-centered arrogance, well, now we're an enemy of the cross whose end will be destruction. What's their God? What is their God? Their God is that they're... they're there's an appetite, right? They're, they're, Sir Francis Schaeffer says that it's the pursuit of personal peace and fluency. I just want to be happy. And I want more of it. 
right? Their appetite is their God. Their appetite for personal peace and fluency, that is their God, whose glory is their shame. They set their minds, be careful of this, watch this. They set their minds on earthly things. Write, write it down. What are, what are the things that you think are your joy, make you happy, are your pursuit? Are those earthly things or are they things that are in the citizenship of heaven? And I love the terminology here. For our citizenship, what's our citizenship based on? What's our, our, our joint heirs? We're joint heirs in Christ. What's it based on? Adoption. Again, something you don't earn or deserve. You don't even earn it by the, by the great work of your father, by the bloodline of your family. You're adopted. And so our citizenship in heaven, which we also, and the word here eagerly is not just anxious, but expect. Our citizenship in heaven for which we expect, we wait for a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. And He, our Savior, what does He save us from? He saves us from the pit of hell. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to himself. See, we press on towards heaven. We press on towards the prize. Partly, not just because that's what we want to obtain, but it's what keeps us focused. It's what keeps the, the, the carrot keeps us focused, right? There's, there's punitive. You know, we, we can punish people. And this is what a lot of people mistake in the scriptures. They, they think the scriptures is riddled with this idea of, of a punitive outline. No, it's, it's, it's actually a gracious outline. It's actually an outline that says, look, press on towards heaven. There's, there's a reward for that. There's a reward for getting good grades. There's a reward for doing well in school. There's a reward for, for doing well in life. There's a, a reward for being obedient. The, the, God gives us a carrot, not a, not a, a punitive um, path to follow. Now, yes, if we do not obey, then there will be consequences. But that's not how you get to heaven. That's not how you get to heaven. You don't get to heaven by the punitive. That was the old monastic priest's misunderstanding of, you know what, if I'm a sinner, and I am, then I will punish myself. I will beat myself to a pulp because I deserve it. That's not how you get to heaven. You get to heaven by God's grace. So we press on for that upward prize. Verse 14, the call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord,